Welcome back to Grumpy Old Gay Men and Their Dogs, part two of episode two. Hopefully this time they shut up. Enjoy. To another section that we've, uh, well, yeah, another section uh, called Look Into My Briefs. Look Into Your Briefs. Yes. In which we discuss the law and the recent law developments. Woo! And of course, the, the one we're going to discuss today gay is law. the recent um, Texas case. Oh, don't get, In don't, which it's don't, do uh, not, a do law not. Oh, addressing abortion was basically. No, allowed to go into effect by the U.S. The Supreme, Supreme Court. Court, going against <clears> their <throat> own ruling. I'm. Oh my God! A selection of cookies. <gasps> no, they're all chocolate chip. We're gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right, kids. We got chocolate chip. But um, anyway, um, no, it's disgusting. Well, what happened, I mean, Supreme, like, they allowed the law to go into effect, and they also said at the same time, well, there are issues on this matter that are still being adjudicated, so we're not going to address all of that, but we're going to let the law go through in the meantime anyway, which people just couldn't believe this was happening, that you're going to let this law take, take effect and wait until these legal issues are resolved, and then you're going to decide whether the law is uh, legal or not. But... What concerns me about this decision more than anything else is, I think by now it's, it's almost an historical inevitability that Roe v. Wade is either going to be overturned by the Supreme Court or it's going to be basically eviscerated by the Supreme Court, where it Indeed. will mean nothing. I agree. Um, but there's a lot of implications to that that people may not realize. And, for the, and to understand that, you have to look at a case that dates back from 1965. The case is called Griswold versus Connecticut. And back then, in Connecticut, Connecticut was one of two states at the time that had laws against the use of contraception. And Connecticut's law made it illegal to use any drug, medicinal article, or instrument for the purpose of preventing contraception. And violators would be fined... No less than $50 or imprisoned, no less than 60 days. Oh, you can be both fined and imprisoned. And Do so, they give examples what an instrument is? Well, they're speaking in legal terms here. But we're talking about condoms, we're talking about diaphragms, whatever, whatever contraceptives were used at that time. Good. So, Good. the executive director of the Planned Parenthood chapter in Connecticut, whose name was Griswold, uh, she and this gynecologist from Yale named uh, Lee Buxton, they opened a birth control clinic in New Haven, Connecticut, basically just to challenge the state law. And the clinic opened in November of 61, and they received their first 10 patients, uh, all from married women, who wanted birth control devices. So Griswold okay. and Buxton were arrested, they were tried, they were found guilty and fined $100 each. And they appealed to the Circuit Court of Connecticut and the Supreme Court of Connecticut, and they upheld the convictions and everything. Then it gets to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court reverses what the Connecticut courts did. And basically what this court, what this case is really famous for, is that it explicitly states 
that there's a right of privacy. And the way they explain it, it's in a decision by, written by William Douglas. And what the court said was that the marital privacy right uh, was implied by specific provisions of the Bill of Rights, such as the First Amendment, the Third, the Fourth, the Fifth. And that's actually... Um, well, I'll read the words that he, he talks about, because he talks about, about these rights being implied. He talks about there being prior case decisions involving family matters, in which the family had priority and had to say over it. And Douglas wrote this. He goes, The cases suggest that specific guarantees in the Bill of Rights have penumbras formed by emanations from those guarantees that help give them life and substance. Various guarantees create zones of privacy. We have had many controversies over these penumbral rights of privacy and repose. These cases bear witness that the right of privacy, which presses for recognition here, is a legitimate one. So their basically their reasoning was that these provisions of the Bill of Rights created these emanations that of protection that created these penumbras, and within which those rights would still be covered even if they're not explicitly listed in the Constitution. And he said that the right to marital privacy fell within that protection, and said that the Connecticut's law violated the right to privacy and was unconstitutional. Two judges dissented on that decision. Those. Bitches. Well, what they said was that the U.S. Constitution does not explicitly mention privacy in any of its provisions. Anywhere. Doesn't specifically Privacy? Go but, fuck yourself. Right? It doesn't specifically... So why nope. is this all important? Why? You tell me. Well, the court has extended the reasoning of this case, of, no. the, of the Griswold case. What court? The Supreme Court. They've extended it to, to support decisions extending the right to privacy and con contraception to unmarried couples... To juvenile, 16 years old So wait, older. married couples aren't allowed to use contraception? Well, they weren't in this state. It was banned altogether. Connecticut. In Connecticut. And the Griswold case said, yes, marital, the marital right of privacy takes precedence over this unconstitutional law. Oh, uh, yeah. They then extended that right of privacy to unmarried couples. Uh, well, uh, isn't that nice? And then they extended to juvenile 16 years and older. Well, that was just smart. But it was also used to invalidate laws that criminalized homosexual sodomy. Uh-oh. And it was also used to support the decision to the right of same-sex couples to marry. And most famously, it's used in the case of Roe v. Wade. Uh-oh. And in Roe v. Wade... It ain't doing so good. In, the, in Roe v. Wade, but they their they're, they're reasons a little bit different. They said that the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment provides a right of privacy that protects a woman's right to choose whether or not to have an abortion. What is the 14th Amendment? The 14th Amendment, I can give you the exact wording of it in no, just a second. Don't be too goddamn exact. Well, you asked for it. I, I am going to you. give it to you because I believe oh in believing exact like about these things. Hey, I'm a lawyer. What did, you, what did you expect from me? Jesus. Come on. <laughs> oh, here we go. The 14th Amendment. 14th, baby. 14th, baby. Do they have the actual text here? I don't need the actual Sexual text. one says all persons born or naturalized in the United States right. are citizens of the United, the United States. States. And of the state they reside. That's no state exactly shall right. make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges 
or immunities of citizens of the United States. That's coming from the Nor feds, Nor shall bitches. any state deprive any person of life, liberty, Nobody. or property without due process you of law. prove it. Nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. You back me? So that's what they mean by the due process clause of the 14th now. Amendment. The 14th Amendment is about due process. Right? Now, of course... That's all you had to say. Okay. Okay. But the court also said that this right was not absolute, and it had to be balanced... What? Court. The Supreme Court. And they said that the right must be balanced against the government's interest in protecting women's health and protecting prenatal life. Um, now, in 1992, they basically reaffirmed the holding of Roe v. Wade, even though they, they modified. In Roe v. Wade, they had set up a formula for when uh, an abortion would not be allowed. They set it up by the first trimester, had certain conditions, second trimester, certain conditions. By the third trimester, abortions could not be held except for certain conditions. In this 1992 decision, they changed that from trimester, they went to viability. And that in a way oh, created problems. Sake. That created problems. Now the whole problem is, is that now on the Supreme Court you have justices who are of two schools of thought. Mm. One school of thought is known as textualism, which says that when we make our decisions about the U.S. Constitution, we are going by the plain meaning of the words that are in there in the text. And Clarence Thomas follows that, yep. and Neil Gorsuch follows that. Then there's also another school of thought called the originalists. And the originalists say, when we look at the Constitution, it's not a living document, as what, what the liberals might say, the other school of thought. It's, it's, we have to look at what the framers meant when they wrote these words at the time that they were written. And that's how we base our decisions. But wait, without saying, and how they affect us now, or and what they teach us about now, or how we separate then from now to satisfy our own needs, wants, requirements. Well, that's the thing. There's the minority school of thought on the Supreme Court, which views the Constitution as a living document that has to be judged according I, to the times. I'll and, tell you what I you think. Know? I'll tell you what I think. I think that if you don't consider it a living document, and... I don't know that they meant it to be a living document. I don't think anybody thinks 200 years ahead. I don't care how genius you are. I don't think you plan for this government today, right now, in the winter of 1774. I don't think you did. Okay? So, what'd you do? Well, the thing is, with what this all means is that, that with this current makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's a... Conservative 6 3 it's, majority. It's, Although it's, Roberts, as the Chief Justice, tries. He's a to, surprise. Well, he tries to. Be, he's, what they, he, he's made it very clear that he's a big respecter of what they call legal precedent, or in the Latin, stare decisis. And he's been, you know, starting to say, yes, Roe v. Wade is legal precedent. I and saw he's been trying a, to stay with that, you know? I saw a stare decisis in the lining, the silver lining in New High Park. Moving on. She was good. So what could happen here is, is that this court, when they overrule Roe, if and when they overrule or eviscerate Roe v. Wade, not only could they limit or re, or declare unconstitutional or, or the right a woman's right to choose, 
It can also say that there is no right to privacy in the Constitution. There isn't. Well, depending, there on, isn't. The school, depending on the school of thought that you go by. Well, no. 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 But you also have to remember that... The fact is, there is not a provision in the Constitution re-privacy. There is not. That is just facts. Now, what you do with that fact, how you manipulate that fact, how you convince people that because that fact exists, this is what it means, or this is what we can do. No, this is this is fucked up. Well, this if you look at Douglas's right decision here. in Griswold, he says the right to privacy is older than the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. That may be true. That does not. That does not mean that it is not. But what Douglas says not in that decision, mentioned. But what Douglas says in that decision is because he's also going by prior case law, and prior case law has, by implication, recognized the right of privacy, which I'm sure there is no debating. My question is: The thing is, there's two schools of two competing schools. It doesn't of seem. It doesn't seem like there is. It seems like there is. What does the Constitution say? What does the Constitution not say? That's all the same thing. It's about the, what the Constitution. And the other thing is about what law is, because law and the Constitution don't always, in my experience, line up. Well, no kidding. Okay, so. <laughs> You 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 can manipulate that difference between the truth and the. What do I want to say? I don't know. I don't either. You tell me. I'm eating cookies. You eat your cookies. I'm eating a shit ton of cookies, yo. But uh, this law itself, it also poses a lot of problems. And Are we questions. still talking about Texas? We're still talking about Texas. I'm here. so mad. And. Um, People got to do something, Mitch. Well, it's the thing, because what the, part of the problem, the, what the major problem is, is can a state legislature delegate to its citizens enforcement powers that are usually exercised by the executive branch of government? Okay. And that's what it did here when it, it basically said, the government can't enforce this law, but private citizens can so the question is... Oh, you talk about them sending each other out to, to spy on yeah, each other for five grand? Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's... So that's basically, that's, you know, is that's whether, you know, is that like, a legal thing to do? That's, Can it delegate enforcement power to its citizens like I'm that? I'm sure that there are thousands of arguments on both sides about whether or not that is legal Well, that's the whole thing, do. because the next question is, should a private citizen be able to maintain a civil cause of action, a lawsuit, in a state court... <sighs> against a woman for exercising her constitutionally protected rights. Because if that's the case, could New York then write a law that would allow private citizens to sue someone for exercising their right to bear arms under the Second Amendment? You know, how far are we willing to carry Where's this? the line? Not only that, this law, I read this law, I read the statute. And you know law. Yeah, well, yeah I, well I think I do, I hope I do. But it, one question is, this, does this apply to out-of-state abortions? Hold on. Let me catch up. So, in other words, if a citizen of Texas leaves the state to go have an abortion, would that count? Okay, so... Or sadly, does it only apply to abortions that are performed in-state? Well, I don't think I don't think that anybody would assume that anything that Texas says is is legally binding anywhere outside of Texas. Well, with, yeah. I mean, if she but, wants to go to New Mexico and get an abortion, who's going to... But the thing is, what's going to happen, let's say hypothetically, let's say Mrs. Smith 
goes to some other state to get an abortion. She comes back. Her neighbor then sues her. No, no this is where it turns into fascism. Then sues her. Sues the cab driver who drove her to the airport. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sues the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the airline company that facilitated the flight. The who, who served you sue the New York City cab driver who drove yeah, her to the yeah, clinic. Yeah, 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 yeah. You sue all the, pe- the uh, employees of the clinic. So does this apply out of state? Who wrote this law? Texas legislatures. Otherwise Texas known legislature. as. What are they mostly professional? Well, they're name? predominantly white Republicans. And white male Republicans. What's their profession predominantly? I don't know. Uh, they're politicians. That's their profession. And politicians usually come from where? Law. They're no lawyers. Kidding. No kidding. No, they're lawyers. Well, that's another thing is whether or not people who are sued under the statute, whether or not they can sue for abusive process or malicious prosecution. Come on, Patrick. Come on. You're building Technically, a- they should be able to, but we don't know if they're going to be able to under the statute. But the lawyer's going to figure it out. And if, if you can, the lawyer's going to be there to defend you. Come on, Patrick. Well, another thing is, I was, this law, it allowed, if a plaintiff, if you sue someone for having an abortion and you win, you also win back your attorney fees. From the person who you sued. Yep. Yes. If the person you sued, if they win in court, they don't win their attorney's fees. No, they don't. It's only the plaintiff. No. Which is bullshit. And then, like I said, I looked at this statute, and it's... They wrote this exception in. It says, the only exception is, if a doctor determines that a quote-unquote medical emergency necessitated an abortion, but it's still not clear if it can be formed once a so-called fetal heartbeat can be detected, the phrase is not defined. It's unclear. That's there are just so many problems with this law. It's just it's disgusting. It, it's ridiculous. Is what and it you is. know what? It's going to happen, and it's going to be a line drawn. Well, you can see the line. The line is drawn. The line has already been drawn. The line was drawn in nineteen seventy three. I mean, you could see the line. So, so what do you do with that? Because that's what's coming. So what's next? Well, we, we now we wait for the Supreme Court to eventually rule on this again. And and the Supreme Court is going to rule. We don't know. In a very predictable... Well, John Roberts is the... Well, threat. let's put it this way. Even without John Roberts' vote, it's still going to be five to four. Yeah. It's still going to be five to four. So, and, and three of them are, are what? Well, I said, three of them are known as... They, they, they consider themselves originalists. In other words, following what the founding fathers meant when they wrote the Constitution. 200 years ago. Two of them are considered tradi- uh, textualists who just say, let's follow the plain meaning of the words in the Constitution. What do you think? I don't know what's going to happen. My biggest fear is that they are going to find that there is no right to privacy. How? And that's going to really open up a can of worms. My, I want to go a little further back. Okay, to okay. what? How do you think... We should use the Constitution in today's world. For what? I don't understand what that means. Come on. No, I don't. What are you talking about? Are you an originalist? Are you a a socialist, Republican, left-wing, tree-hugging, you know, weed-eating weirdo? <laughs> like, like where, what, how do you think... We should use the Constitution today. Is it, should we follow it exactly word for word, intent, intended for the time? Should we allow for it to expand and become something uh, 
uh, living and relevant to today? Or should we just say, you know what? The words is the words. I don't believe that you should say, well, I have, I believe this, so therefore I'm taking this approach. I don't believe in saying, I'm following this certain formula when I'm interpreting things. I think each case needs to be cited on a case-by-case basis. You know? You're, because these things, people forget. These laws and everything, they involve people. You know? That's what people forget. They involve people and the effects that these cases actually have on people. It's, it's amazing. It's remarkable. I asked you what you thought personally, Patrick Fay, about how we should use, how we should interpret the Constitution today. I think, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it should be applied with a mix of approaches. I don't think there's one single approach. I think it should be applied as a living document. I think they should look at what the founders meant when they first wrote these things. I believe in let's looking at the plain meaning of the law, but I also believe that you got you you have to temper it by justice. What is just? That is the most important thing of being a judge. We're not good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on to our next segment is We Like to Watch. Well, I love to watch. And uh, I didn't really watch a lot of TV this past oh, TV. week. TV? Yeah. Well, it could um, be TV or movies, whatever you felt like I watching. I watched something. What I did you watch? I, well, I watched Cinderella. How was that? And it, 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 it... I saw mixed reviews um, from other people on, on Facebook and stuff. I, I, I did... I, I, mm, wow. I was not... <laughs> So yeah, let's just let's just leave it there. Was it good? There were parts of it that were very good. Um, the singing was very good. Now was this Rogers and Hammerstein? It was there, not. Right? It was not. It was not. What which was I did it? not know going See, in. See, I thought it was. Which is what I thought going in. What was it? It was Cinderella told with a, like all modern music. Really? Yeah, covers of modern songs, which is not in and of itself it's not worthy well, of the trash. May not appeal to me, but I'm sure the kids love it. But it, it was at this point, it becomes how do you use the song? You know what I mean? The song is there; it's established. We all we all know how um, uh, the Madonna song about rich people. Oh, what they used contemporary? They used actual contemporary songs. They did. They didn't write original music for they this. They did not. Oh my God! They is... used all original, all all covers of current or oh, recently no. current or thirty oh, I years hate ago. When current. They do shit well, like they that. did that. And you know what was weird, uh. to me, Patrick? The weirdest thing. Idina Menzel was the wicked stepmother. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Idina Menzel was the wicked Wait stepmother. A oh, wicked stepmother. Okay. 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 You're okay with that? Gee, she's playing, you know, you know, something similar to another role she did, maybe? No. No, that's not it. Well, no, okay. then what's the problem with the it? The problem is that, that is, my, is, is Idina Menzel of the age. Like, to me, the wicked stepmother is, is played by a woman of a certain age. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a... There's, well, how old is Medina Menzel? Well, she's not... She, I mean, I don't know. Look, look it up on the... Well, look it up on the freaking machine? On the, on the thing. You got it open already. Oh, I know. Type in Medina Menzel. She can't be 50. You typed She was press. born 1971. She is 50. She's 50. Yep. 
So I don't see that the age being a problem. Okay, so then that would, if she's a stepmother and she's got other daughters there, yeah, no, no, right. those are her daughters, right? So all right, okay, yeah, I don't think it's a bad age. It struck me. Okay, um, um, she sang a Madonna hit. I believe it was Material World. I may be wrong. Okay, Material Girl. Material Girl. You know what the problem was? First of all, the way they played Cinderella. Cinderella was very sassy and new who age. Played, who played Cinderella? I don't remember her name. She was somebody I've never heard of. She was very good. Okay. But the way they played her was, to me, that girl that she played for me would never have put up with being... Cinderella. Okay, was she more contemporary, more modern? Everything was more contemporary, more modern. Like it's on the whole setting was modern and no, contemporary. The, the whole setting was was uh, that Germanic fairy tale village. Okay, so it's a juxtaposition of the modern music with this. Yes, very familiar. Oh my god, this it, sounds like so many bad movies I've it, seen. You know, and you know, sometimes it works. Yeah. Um, how many times are we going to tell this story? I know. I just see seeing, taking songs like that, that you like hearing on the radio, and that's being used in this... Well, it ages it by the, the time it's right. released. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not unwell done. Okay. Um. But it's basically, it's a jukebox musical. <sighs> that's what it basically is. Billy Porter is amazing. Billy Porter is I'm amazing. sure he's probably the best thing there. Billy, Billy. You know what? They sang well at Gina Menzel. I mean, come on. Um, James Corden was in it because James Corden can't, you know, there cannot be a musical made in America. I without know, James without Corden James Corden. What? I, I don't understand that. Oh, uh, he played one of the rats. Okay. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a interesting retelling of the story. I don't think it was dead on accurate. Okay. The music was, I, I was not offended by the use of modern music. Okay. Um. I was more offended by the by the portrayal of the characters. Like, like at the, there's this mushy scene between the, the wicked stepmother and Cinderella, and I don't want Cinderella to be mushy towards the wicked stepmother. I don't want it. Did you ever see the movie version with uh, Barrymore, Drew Barrymore? Drew Barrymore. That's in, I think it's called Ever After or Forever After, something like that. And it's she's a it's told back in the fairy tale setting. Yeah, yeah. You know the times and stuff. But she's a more forward-thinking woman than you would see normally in a time period and stuff. So it's and it didn't take away from the story of the betrayal because it wasn't like the exact Cinderella story. It was like this was the basis for the Cinderella story. So it and in, in that context, it kind of worked because it wasn't like her attitude wasn't totally out of context of the character or the story. You know what I mean? Well, who's the character? Well, she's playing the she's Cinderella. Playing Cinderella. Yeah. So Cinderella, who is Cinderella? To me, Cinderella is this beat down, uncared for, nobody gives a shit, nobody feels guilty. She's just this thing yeah. that lives over there. And she can make me hot water, and she can make me hot eggs, and she can do my laundry, and that's what Cinderella is. Right. Okay. Now, so, in this production you just saw, was that what Cinderella was? That's what that that was Cinderella's job. But it seemed like the wicked step family was not wicked and step enough. Okay. Like they didn't, they uh, 
In other words, the director didn't want to go so far enough to alienate them from the audience. They still wanted to make them somewhat appealing. They were they 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 were appealing. Like you said, okay, I'll give you a for example. Okay, you see the wicked stepmother and the two wicked stepsisters hanging their own laundry on laundry lines. Okay, who's doing this now? This is this is this is what happens in the movie. Cinderella. Okay. 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 So that cut to Cinderella exterior. Cinderella's stepmother and stepsisters hanging laundry okay. on a laundry line outside the estate, their estate. That makes no sense. Okay, so on any level. And it's in a contemporary setting. No, it's not. No, it's right. It's in the dramatic medieval setting. Yeah. Contemporary language. All right, so that's why they're doing it, but still. So, so what's Cinderella's beef? You know what I mean? So, yeah. But it was entertaining. It was it was cute. I recommend, if you want to see a good version of Cinderella, look for the Rodgers and Hammerstein rendition. Leslie Award. With Brandy in it. Oh, and Brandy Goldberg. Well, it was a whole multiracial cast. And it's a really, it's a cute, sweet production, I thought. You can find, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. I think it's some of Rodgers and Hammerstein's best writing. Oh, Cinderella, the music's absolutely yeah, gorgeous in that gorgeous. show. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. One of the most beautiful scores, I think. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on to a new segment this week. I love this. It's called Five Faves. Oh, you sent me an email about that. Yes, in which we are going to name five of our favorite things, depending on the topic. And this time we're going to have two five favorites. Oh, my God. Because we're going to be talking about musicals. Oh, my God. So first we're going to talk about your favorite, your top five favorite 20th century musicals. It's a bolster question. Why? You must have favorites. I have favorites. Well, then tell us. Well. 20th century now. 20th century is 100 years. 90 of them filled well, with musical theater. 1900 to 1999, right. yes. It is very easy to divide 100 years uh-huh. into different categories. Yes. And find a favorite in each. Yep, exactly. I know. There's actually a good series of books like that that were written by uh, an author named Ethan Morton. Ethan Morton. Who wrote a great series of books basically on the history of the Broadway musical. And basically looks at different each decade and what happened with the development of the musical. So, so I could name five favorite Sondheim musicals. I just want you to name your five favorite musicals of the 20th century first. Then we'll move on to the 21st century. Was so I, I give you one of mine first. Yeah. Okay, my the first one on my list. Uh, these are in no particular order except for the last one that I'll give. But uh, this first one, the Rocky Horror Show, one of the first musicals. You, you know, basically, I grew up on that in the seventies. You know, it was late nights on HBO on the on the midnight hour in the early days of HBO. I actually watched it with my mother, and she fell in love with Tim Curry in that. Huh. Right. And then I got this, you know, of course, I went to the midnight shows where there were actual productions, saw them in the city, saw them out here on Long Island. Uh, it's it's a great show. You know, it's a, it's a bad, it's a, it's a takeoff on bad musicals and sci-fi and horror, 
But it's a fun, fun musical. You can't ask for much more fun than this. I agree. Right? It's not one of my top five. Not one of your top five. Not one of my top five. Well, give me one of your top five now. West Side Story. Good choice. Very good choice. Any particular reason why? It's it's the top creative people of their time. Yes, I would agree with that. It's Leonard Bernstein. Working at, at the top of their game. Right. Um, and it means something to every dancer. Yes, it's yeah, it's, it's such a dancer show. Yeah, it has to be. It, it has, I mean, the story is told. It is a ballet mm-hmm. to a large degree. Fiddler on the Roof is a ballet. Yes, it's told so much through the movement. So yeah, yeah I would true. one of my top five. Um, definitely West Side Story. Good choice. Did Tem- you see the most recent production I on did Broadway? Not. I did not. Did you hear anything about I it? I did. And what did you what did you hear and what did you think about that? I think we should move on to your second <laughs> Good choice. My second choice. I was biased in this because I love this character. I loved it when it was in the original play. Um loved it when it became a movie. Uh, that became a Jerry Herman, well, it became a Jerry Her- Herman musical before, I think, became a movie. Um, uh, mm. I love Maine. I love Anti-Maine with Rosalind Russell. I love the musical Maine. There's such good music. Uh, first, what's the song? Today is the day? The, the it's friend? today. It's today. It's today. I love that song. What a, gr- it's a great opening number to a show. It's like right after the... Uh, the kid orphans, and he has a song with yep, his guardian yep, yep, or whatever, yep, yep, yep. and then it opens up into Mame's apartment with this big, crazy party, and that's the first number that she starts at the top of the stairs. And it's like, wow, what kind of a show am I getting into? And the show just continues to be so much fun. It really, I just can't say enough about it. I agree. It is also Mame. Has to do with my history. How so? It is the first show I ever directed and choreographed. Really? It is. And it happened in 1990. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and? I love that show. I love Dolly. I love, like... Top five. Dolly was another. He was. It was. I was debating Dolly or Mame. I was like, no, I really love Mame. Like, if you say top five, I'm going to say Candy Renette, and I'm going to put in that top five. This is, I'm going to put Cabaret. I'm going to put Chicago. I'm going. To, I'm going to put. The well, Candy you're going to hear the rest of my list. Let's hear that. We'll hear my list. Well, we just did my second one. What's your second one? Candy Renette. Which one? All of them. All of them. Candy Renette as a group, as you can do Jerry Herman. Okay. As a group. Okay. Well, I can tell you that I chose one Candor and Ebb show. Which was? Chicago. Chicago. I had to go with Chicago. It's another show. Great numbers. Great book. And great staging. It's, you know. It has a concept and it nails it. Right? Exactly. Like, it's just, it's an amazing show. One you should definitely go see. Um, the next show on my list. But wait. Chicago, now, as done by... Everybody mm-hmm. is now this black leotard, and yeah, it's now like the 
Fosse in a Can show. That's that's what's become been running on Broadway for the past God knows how years, long. Yeah, which is a piece of shit. It's like end it now. It's you know, awful. put it's it out of its misery. It. You know what it was? It was that show was. I think was it the very first encores. I think so. Yeah, and it was meant to run for two weekends, and then it became and go away. And I actually saw this production in the very beginning. I saw, I saw this production. Be New Earth in it, and I did Karen, not see and Karen Zimba. Karen's the end, but I love Karen's the end. Right? Oh, and yeah. it, I enjoyed it. It was great. I, I did not enjoy it. I was but annoyed. It cost me that much money. To really? Sit. Yeah. And, and the performances are always good. Oh, Michael Barres. He was playing Billy Michael Flynn. Bar- I saw Michael oh. Barres in, in, in that thing, uh, the, the Light in the Piazza. Yeah, I love Michael uh, Barres. Oh, love Jesus him. Dear. Really good actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the next show on my list um, is a rock show. Oh, please don't tell me it's hair. No, it's not hair. Thank God. <laughs> it's a show about a German, East German transsexual. Hedwig. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Love Hedwig. I love the score. I mean, it's it's basically a solo show. And this yeah. person telling his life. I and mean, yes, there are other characters, especially at the end. But it's really, it's a solo show. And the music... I, I can't say enough good things about the music from the opening number to Dirty Little Town to Wig in a Boxer. Just, it's such an incredible show. I do not disagree with you. It is such an incredible show. I saw a production of it now. Is it a musical? Oh, I think it's a musical, definitely. Why? By what definition? Just by the nature of the, of the show itself. It's a musical. I think a musical is about, is about a, a method of storytelling. And it was a, this was storytelling. It was telling the story of his life. Well, this, of her can, life. You can tell a story with puppets. There's a hundred different ways of methods of right. telling a story. But what makes this one considered a musical? I I liked it. I saw NPH as as Hedwig, okay. and I liked it. I think it's a lot. See, of I saw. I can't think of the actor's name. Now. Top five. De- I saw it. Uh, the actor who played Dexter. Oh, oh. He's delicious. I can't even. Now I gotta look him up. Oh, it's gonna drive me crazy. Oh, yeah. I, I love him. He's, I love that. He's delicious. And yeah. he he basically took over at one point for Neil Patrick Harris. And I gotta tell you, I was kind of glad because I had heard the Neil Patrick Harris recording, and I thought it's okay. It's not even as good as the original recording. I just he doesn't have a rock voice. It's he's a he's a voice for singing, a voice for Broadway. But it wasn't for this kind of music. But then I saw... Why can't I find... Michael C. Hall. Oh, yeah. I saw yeah. him play Hedwig. And I thought... Did you really? He's going to play Hedwig. Yeah, I think the same thing. And he was fantastic. Oh, good for him. He had the voice to sing it. I wish they had made a recording of oh, him yeah, singing the show it. instead wow. of Neil Patrick Harris. Because I thought he was fantastic in it. Nobody's going to buy a CD of Michael C. Hall singing fucking Hedwig. It's a shame because he's so good in it. Uh, but they're going to drop 20 but because the MPH. Yeah, answer. I know. There's your answer. And like I said, yeah, he has the and fame I liked and the name. The I thought he was good. I'm sure he was good in the role, but I said voice-wise, Michael C. Hall was better. Darren Chris and his thighs. Yes. Oh, my God. Right? Can you imagine? Oh, my God. So what's your third name? Oh, God. Are we still here? Yes, we are. I would go, okay, if, so if my second was the um, Candor and Ebbs, mm-hmm. I love... I love the Jerry Hermans. Made, well, I mean, Hello, Dolly. Yep. La Casa Fall. I love Milk and Honey. 
the uh, what's the the one with the shit? I'm so drunk. <laughs> I don't know which one you're talking about. Go ahead. I, w- I want to say Seventy Girl Seventy, but that's not it. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if that. No, be. Mac and Mabel. Oh, okay. That's another good show, actually. I saw a local production of that, and the director did a really good job with it. And I wondered, how did this not succeed on Broadway? Again, I think it's like, you're talking about styles of shows. Yeah. I'm talking about styles of shows. I can't pick five. If I can pick five. Well, I'm sure. If you would ask me tomorrow, I might list different names for other shows here. But this last show would always be my number one choice for my favorite musical. Follies. 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 My... All-time favorite yeah. musical. I fell in love with the show before I even saw a production of it. I, I heard the music. I went out and found the script. <laughs> I love the show. I cannot say enough good things about this show. I agree. 100%. It's, I don't know if people think, you know, I think people think that's not Sondheim's best show. I think, you know, people think Sweeney Todd or Passion or uh, Sunday in the Park with George. I love me Sweeney some Sweeney Todd. But Follies to me is like it's a quintessential Broadway musical. I agree because it's 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 pastiche. A lot of it's basically it's all the songs pastiche. are based on early American music it from the early twentieth century. It's you know? about pastiche, and yeah, it's about reconciling the past it, with the present. Yeah, it's it, no, it's beautiful. It, it really is, beautiful. is. It's just an, an amazing show. I was glad I I actually the most recent production of it I got to see twice. I believe you were at me with one, you were with me on one of them. I don't think I was with you, but I also got to see it twice, and I think that the time that we were at the we were the we were the, the same, same thing. We were the same thing. Yes, that was it. But we didn't go together. That's correct. And yes. I looked. Yeah, it was. I think at that point it was the second time that I was seeing it. Okay, Jan Maxwell. I she awed me. She was she she was great as Phyllis. Knocked me out. Great as Phyllis. Knocked oh me my out. god! She, what she proved was that that. The Sondheim is for actors. And the, 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 the shame of it is, the one person I didn't like in the show was Bernadette Peters. Which is the only time I've ever seen Bernadette Well, hold on. I haven't seen Bernadette Peters in a whole lot. But I'm not a fan. And she did not offend me in this. Because the Cupid doll thing that she should stop at 100 years old. It fit this character fit to this an extent. Character, yes. But I, it I thought she... The first time I saw her, I was not impressed with her at all. The I second time I saw the show, was, she was better. She was actually better. But she was not... She was my least favorite element of the whole thing. But I saw the, the, the costumes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And the whole Loveland set. And Oh, my... It's... I, it's, I can't... If you ever get a chance to see a production of Follies, go see it, wherever it is. We now move on to our five faves of... 21st century musicals. Oh, this will so be a lot, lot more easier. narrow time to choose from. This will be a lot easier. Well, I'm going to let you name one for the first time. In the Heights. Oh, Bang. Good, good choice. Drop. Good choice. In the Heights. That, it's perfect. Yep. I love that show. I love that show. I love that show. My for, well, first one on my list here is The Book of Mormon. Oh, uh, another great show. It's a show that surprised me. How good it was! Yep. It's basically you know the, the writers of it, you know the guys who found South Park. You could tell they studied Broadway musicals. They also had a great leader. I mean, Casey Nicola is no joke. He knows how to make Broadway. Yeah, and I mean, at any point in the past ten years, look at who has directed the musicals currently running on Broadway, and three of them have been Casey Nicola. Yeah, right. You know, there's five people who work, and Casey Nicola is two of them. Yeah. 
So, and he's brilliant. He does great, great stuff. And that show, first of all, it, it's absolutely, it's absolutely Broadway show. You can map it. Yeah. It, yeah. You can you know, definitely you, follow you, the arts. You, you, know, you know exactly who's going to sing when and what, and what's, what, what the song is And when it parodies other Broadway shows, it's, it's br- brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, when it does the whole parody of Uncle Tom's Cabin from The King and I. And then it turns and, oh, around. it's hysterical. And then it turns around and kicks you in the throat. Yep. It's, you know, it, yeah. it's this sweet little story about this fat kid. And I, I, I agree. I would put that on a top five. I love right? that. Yeah. I love that. Definitely. What's your second choice? Uh, Hamilton. Okay. I thought Hamilton was was... Absolutely, the the step to take after In the Heights. Now, now what I'm doing is celebrity fucking, and not celebrity fucking. It's just no, but I understand. I'm, I'm, you know, you col- uh, I collect Audrey McDonald performances. I collect Sutton Foster performances. Yeah, you know, there's not a single picture anywhere in the world of me and Sutton Foster. There is one of me and Audrey McDonald. <laughs> uh, but Miranda, I saw Hamilton in the public for thirty five dollars because. The poster outside the public theater said Lynn Manuel Miranda. And I was so in love with In the Heights that I said, I'll sit and watch 90 minutes of whatever this motherfucker's writing. Right. I love him. Look what he did. Hamilton's not one of my favorite shows, but I recognize what it's done yeah. for Broadway. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, number one, it it brought rap to Broadway in a big way. Um well, that was that was in the heights. Yeah. Well, but I think because of the setting that was, this was put into a setting of American history of using black actors playing founding fathers and they're rapping. If you were to try, and, if you were to try to sell that production, how would you do it? We're going to so, all right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to take the founding fathers, Washington, Hamilton, Jefferson, whatever the, the other guy's name was. And we're all black. We're right. all minority. Okay. Okay. So, so, so Hamilton's going to rap. George Washington is going to have the smooth R&B sound. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, this is, I, Okay, it's going to be all minorities, and it's going to be the story about the the duel between Alexander Hamilton and... What's his name? Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. And we're going to sell this on Broadway. How the fuck do you sell that story? Written by Lin-Manuel Murray. Right, that's how you sell the story. Sorry, it's just, it's just, you could say the same thing about South Pacific. Nuns and Nazis during World War II in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, right? No, that, that's not. Well, no, you, you're, you're confusing com- cabaret I'm, and South Pacific. No, I'm combining Sound of Music and South Pacific. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. But it's the same thing. <laughs> same thing. It's the same fucking thing. But. Nuns and Nazis. When it comes to, between In the Heights and Hamilton. I like Hamilton, but because there's so much music and words, I feel like it overwhelms me sometimes. It's very I don't feel that way with In the Heights. No, it's much freer. Hamilton had a lot of story to tell, and it probably tells the most story per measure of music than any show ever. Yeah. It's the only show I suggest to people, if you're going to go see Hamilton... Listen to the soundtrack a couple of times first. Yeah, you have to. You have to know what's going on. If not, you're going to be like... Oh, <laughs> and it's worth it's worth the homework. Because, Definitely, because the production is so Tommy Kale. I, I don't. I I the production itself is. 
Oh, I mean, the staging of the show blew beautiful. me away. It's intense. The staging, the it's choreography. I mean, beautiful. you watch these dancers and they're dancing there. Fucking asses off. Uh, <laughs> always. It's just amazing. Always. And then, yeah, it's nonstop. No, yeah. Just nonstop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next show on my list, it's a show, it's a small kind of show, it never really made it to Broadway, made it to the Lincoln Center. It's a show called The Man of No Importance. Oh, yeah, that's the story. You know what? I always say, why ain't nobody wrote a, a story about him? Why are there no musicals about fucking Oscar Wilde? Well. <laughs> why are there no musicals about Oscar Wilde? This isn't really about Oscar Wilde. But it kind of is. It's about a fan of Oscar Wilde and his is trying to do a production with Salome and is falling in love with another man in the production. Um, it, I love the music in the show is is just so touching. It really is. Aaron's and Flattery. Yep. Yeah, Aaron's and Flattery wrote it. Ro I think Roger Reed started the Lincoln yeah, yeah, Center he, production. That's, a, that's the recording I have. Yes, one I have Roger also. Reed. And he yeah. sings that song, uh, Love probably, You Love. Probably not I, too many oh my God, that song just kills me. It's pretty. But it's a good show. I, I, I've never seen a production of it. I would love to, though. I you know what else they wrote, two of them, those bitches? They're, they're good. Mm -hmm. They wrote, um, holy shit, it was about the slave. You mean Joseph? No. No, <laughs> say, no. It's not them. Stop it. <laughs> I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It was about the slave and, and the woman who owned her, and she released her, and how they come back together years later. Dessa Rose. I'm not familiar with that one. Dessa Rose. Okay. Okay. Um, it goes up in there with those, like, Michael John Lucucia, uh The House of Bernardo Alba. Okay. Bernardo Alba, which I saw. Okay. Live. Um, uh, yeah, it's those sort of really off-Broadway. And Dessa Rose, which I never saw. I only have the recording off, but it is a really epic piece of writing. Ooh, I Beautiful. For that. Dessa Rose. Is that is that on your list of your five favorites? No. Okay. So what's next on your list of your five favorites? What's the Post twenty first century? Come from away. Oh, good choice. I love that show. Good show. I right? love that show. The music is brilliant. Oh my god, the music's great. In that I show. love that show. Right? Another one I haven't of course I haven't seen yet, but I love the music, you know? The music just tells you whether or not there's gonna be a good show or not, it's, as far as I'm concerned. It's and there's a lot that's with every recording. There's a lot that's not on the recording that you see live on stage. Can only be. Yeah. There's always that one character don't sing. Right. Right. That's In true. this case, it was the animals. Yeah. Right. There's, there's this whole thing about them taking care of the animals that you know, 38 airplanes landed, and there were a couple of dogs and cats on those planes. Yeah. So how do they do? You know, and it's not. It doesn't get a song. Okay. But it gets stage time, and it's. I love that's that amazing. show. I gotta uh, see that Friday on Friday. Apple TV gonna release that. Um, a live recording from Broadway. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. I don't think live streamed, but but yeah, no. I think it was it was recorded probably over a couple of days. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but I can't wait to see it. I love that show. Next on my list is a show I've only seen in a local production, and the local production was absolutely amazing. Okay. You're in town. I love you're in town. Oh my god, I what a good show! It's I think it's such a strong score, strong score. Oh, I love it. Strong, strong book, and like I said, the staging I saw was amazing. Yeah. Was, the ensemble basically stole the show in the second act. Yeah, the ensemble right. was so good; it was amazing with the, well, they, the amount of dancing. They, they killed all the leads. 
I know, right? Yeah, they do. They kill all the leads of the show. No, Spoiler no. alert. It's, no, <laughs> I would put that in one of my top five, too. I love that show. Right? right? Excellent show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's next on your list? I, I um, Well, I, I was hoping to get away with saying you're in town. How many, what number is this? This will be number three for you. No, it can't possibly be number I'm sorry, it'll be number four. I think um, it's number four. I'm going to agree with you in town. I'm going to go ahead straight and lay myself down. And okay, good choice, good I choice. My fourth choice, show written by Cindy Lauper and oh my God. Firestein. Oh, my God. Kinky Boots. Awesome show. Oh, I never came out of a Broadway show where I felt like I was at a party. And that's the way I felt with this show. It was such a... It's a feel-good musical. It really is. Yeah. I remember I saw the original film of this, the original British film, okay. which was very good in its own right as well. And getting to see this as a musical was even better. Um, what is your choice, number four? No, we've got to be beyond four now. Well, then, all right. Then maybe it's number five, then, for you. Um, I know what mine is. It's my number one choice. But I'm not going to tell you yet. Let me hear what yours is first. Since... In, since 2000, um, um, it's not, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You have to have one more. Come on. What were they? Give me, give me some titles. You want some titles and shows? Titles. Oh yeah. my God. You want I, everything, don't you? Just, just. Jeez Louise. I mean. I don't know. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, there's Drowsy Chaperone. I, there you go. Okay, you like Drowsy Chaperone. I love Drowsy Chaperone. That is another fun show to watch. I love that show. Right? Another fun show. All right, we're done. Well, I need to tell you my number one choice for my favorite 21st century musical. Let me guess. Assassins. No. And that's, that's 20th century. Fuck or actually, you. I think. Yeah, I think go 20th ahead. century. No, my number one choice for my favorite 21st century musical is Hadestown. Oh, uh, all right. I, I've been following the show since the original studio album came out. That and these, I guess, and I, 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 Mitchell, whatever, how you ever pronounce her first name, Mitchell, recorded. And I love that. And then I, at the same time, I had found this concert version in which she had rewritten it a bit. And it was more of a musical. All right. And loved it even more. So when I heard this was coming to Broadway, I was like, this is going to be a great show. I was telling everyone, this is going to be a great show. Trust me, it's going to be a great show. And you were right. And I went to go see it, and I was, I felt it blew me away. The music. The music, the story, the staging. It was, bam, bam, bam. You're done. Oh, it's, it was truly one of the best things I've ever seen on stage. That's awesome. I mean, it takes this story, this Greek myth of a story, and just gives it so much color with the music and the concepts. Awesome. It, it's, it was amazing. You haven't seen it yet? I have not seen it. Go I, see it. I, I probably will not see much Broadway anymore. Why is that? Because I'm, I'm because a little, virus palooza. I'm a little freaked out. I gotta say. I can I totally understand that. that. And I, mean, I know what those themes are. I know how tiny they are. Yeah. Maybe it's about going, like, I can't see myself. At the Schubert Theater anytime soon. Okay. Well, the, it, it's all going to depend on whether what's going to happen in the future. Are on the other hand, you put Oza McDonald on the stage and tell her to peel that banana, and, I'm and then you're going to be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole different story. Yeah, because we know how much you love Audra. Don't fuck with me. Uh, God forbid I would do that. <laughs> She's a goddess. So yeah. that 
That concludes our segment of five fades. Oh, that was fun. You shush. We now come to our last segment. Oh, the, the grumpy old gay man gripe of the week. I should be prepared. You must have a gripe about something this of week, Thomas. Of course I do. Of course I do. Um, what made you unhappy this week? I don't know. Let's hear yours first. Mine? My unemployment benefits ended. Oh, that's gripey. Well, yeah, I mean, we all knew it was coming, you know. It was an inevitability. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, still yeah. doesn't make me any happier, no, you know. No, I mean, I I, I only, like, reopened my practice as an attorney about a week or two ago. You'll be fine. And hopefully I'll be getting some business, you know. Patrick we'll McFee. Attorney du jour. No, that's not it. <laughs> Attorney du jour? Du jour. Attorney. attorney. <laughs> law. No, 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 no. Attorney no. du jour. No. By the day. Per diem. Yes, I mean per diem. Per diem. Yes. Uh, per, per, an attorney per day. Right. Exactly. Of the day. Per day. Yep. Fuck you. So what's your gripe of the week? You. Right now it's you. Right now. <laughs> Right now, it's you and the fact that I ate probably 24 chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, right. Holy shit. Look at what Jesus I did Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, you did to those. Because, My God. Well, well, the rest of them. I had like two or three of those a day, maybe. No, I ate like 16 right now. My God. I know. I'm glad you enjoyed them. I, I don't know if I enjoyed them. I just ate them. But there you go. There you go. We now come to the conclusion of our show today. We'll thank our producer, Stephen Prendergast, ahead of time. Just remember, we are now on Facebook. Facebook. We are, we are also on Twitter. I love Twitter. And we have a website, www.grumpyoldgaymenandtheirdogs.com. And you can listen to this show and our episodes on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcasts, Podcast Index, and Player FM. And no, we have no merch. No merch. Right. We just started. It's only our second show. I know, but we should have merch. We'll work on it. Pants. We'll work on it. Mouse pads? Exactly. Right. Hats. I want hats. I don't want hats. But, yeah, okay. <laughs> People like hats. And on that note, we'll say goodnight, and we'll see you next week. Maybe. Maybe. Say goodbye, bitches. Goodbye, bitches. <laughs> <laughs>